0: And on the 40th day, he did record an episode of his podcast. Welcome, Brother Truckers. This is episode number 104 of the Brother Trucker Book Club podcast. I, as always, am your host, Graham Bradley. Got a bunch of books on deck for you, and I'm even going to regale you with a tale from the road. Very recent one, in fact. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Ready and... Okay, so when I last left you, I was working on two print books, or I, you know, no, excuse me, I one print book and one audio book. Uh, the former was Battle Chasers by Joe Maderra. I first heard about Joe Materera, uh known more commonly in the art circles as Joe Mad. It's uh, the moniker that he uses. He's, you know, he signs his artwork with that. Uh, in a magazine that I read when I was seventeen or eighteen, uh, it was highlighting he, the fact that he was one of these, uh, you know, young mind-blowing artists who started working as uh, an intern at Marvel at age sixteen, and then later went on to uh, go to a, an art-heavy college and, um, you know, learned how to to improve his craft. And his artwork is stupendous his skills are just incredible from from top to bottom Uh, i just i love looking at the work that he creates and this article specifically highlighted uh joe mad's own book called battle chasers that uh that he'd been working on while he was doing other comics for marvel he went back and he was drawing you know x-men and and hulk and, and things like that and uh Everybody in the industry told him that he was making a huge mistake when at the young, ripe age of only 23, he quit Marvel to go pursue his own comic. And it was especially risky because it was kind of a medieval-themed comic. Uh, Not hard medieval because there's some magic and some machinery in it that... uh, you know, is anachronistic to our own world and it's not necessarily pegged down to our, our world. We'd call it now maybe uh, Earth Analog, but it's a, it's a sword and sorcery type thing. And um, thematically, I guess that hasn't been the biggest seller in comics in history. But he, uh, he proved all the doubters wrong. He was successful. And uh, I think just the third issue of Battle Chasers ended up outselling the, uh, the Uncanny X-Men at the time. So, uh, he was, he was wildly successful and, uh, the quality of his art speaks for itself. Um, I found the article fascinating and I had it up on my wall, uh, in my late teens when I was still working on honing my own artistic craft and writing my own stories. I wasn't doing comics. I was doing novels and, I uh, just, you know, held it up there as an inspiration and say, Hey, you know, be like this guy, work hard, bet on yourself and, uh, you know, put in the work and, and you can succeed well, I finally got around all these years later to chasing down a copy of battle chasers. My library had an anthology and, uh, you know, the artwork was just as great as what I remembered the little snippets that they showed in that article. And, um, yeah, I, I've, I've since found him online on Instagram, uh, love following his work there. Uh, I will say that, uh, as I read the, uh, the anthology that I got from the library, um, I don't think it was complete. I think that's kind of one of the, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say complaints, but, um, uh, the ongoing stressors for fan of Joe mad fans of Joe mad and his work is that battle chasers is not yet complete. Um, he would pick at, uh, an issue every couple of months or every couple of years, I guess, or that he'd put it on hold to go work on even bigger projects. I think he launched an app and launched a game. And, uh, I certainly don't, uh, hold it against him for, you know, not only wanting to accomplish bigger things, but also wanting to challenge himself to do bigger things. So that's, that's really, you know, great stuff. Um, As for the story for Battle Chasers, I found it to be, uh, you know, really engaging. I I thought all that stuff was cool. The characters were great. If I've got any complaint about it at all, there's a female lead who is just, I mean, over the top ridiculous uh, in terms of her physicality. I mean, the only times that, her breasts aren't the size of volleyballs is when they're drawn to be the size of beach balls. And it's, uh, you know, any complaint that you've ever heard about, um, you know, the the way that they, they pose and present women in comics, uh, is, is kind of embodied in this character, Red Monica, who's a a bounty hunter. Uh, it, it was to the point of, of distraction where it was taking me out of the story where it was like, okay, I understand that you want to kind of aesthetically present these characters as, um, you know, ridiculously superhuman in, in terms of all of their, their cunning attributes, their uh, their admirable attributes. For example, I mean, every male character that's in the army would have to be an absolute roid head to be as as big and as swole as they are, especially a guy who retired from the military and became a reclusive alcoholic, but is still just as huge and jacked and sharp with his skills as, as the guys who were active military. Obviously, that's not how human physiology works, but you know, it's the kind of thing that we pay to see in the comics. You know, even understanding that baseline for the uh, artistic presentation of these characters, Red Monica was just a little bit too much for for my palate. But uh, if you're looking for a good medieval comic, you might want to check out Battle Chasers. Check out some of the art online to uh, to get an idea of Joe Mads' artistic style. Uh, he is exceptionally talented, and uh, it was it was cool after all these years to finally getting around. reading a book that i had heard about back in my teens and now for your listening pleasure an audiobook called primordial threat by m.a rothman and this one excuse me was was quite a joy to finally get to uh michael rothman is his name he goes by ma when he's publishing uh independent guy uh, I guess in in real life, I guess in real life, in terms of his day job, he's like an astrophysicist. Uh, guy is just wicked, wicked smart. Um, I first heard about this book sometime last year. Uh, Larry Korea did a book bomb for it. Uh, I remember looking at the cover and reading the description, and I kind of got the idea that it was, it was much more of a of a heavy, hard sci-fi, is what they call it. Where it was, I think, The Martian by Andy Weir, where it, it was really more of a of a expository type book where they wanted to explain heavy science, but they knew that people would get bored if they were just reading a a didactic or, you know, professional academic paper on certain principles of astrophysics. So they wrapped it kind of around a narrative, a story. It's not like that. It's much more of a thriller that presents the astrophysics uh, to the extent necessary uh, to tell the story, but uh, it's helped that it's helpful that, M.A. Rothman is himself an astrophysicist and uh, is is explaining this wicked cool idea that he has. Uh, To sum it up pretty simply, uh, mankind discovers that there is a moving black hole ripping its way through our galaxy. This thing is only two miles across, but as it's moving through our galaxy, it is eating things that are just absolutely massive. Uh, Mankind detects it at a distance Um, they're not sure what they're looking at. One guy who's, you know, one of these wicked smart off the scales, uh, off the charts, you know, Mensa types realizes what it is, but everybody thinks that he's insane. And, uh, when they find out that he was reallocating funds from the government to try to put something in, in, uh, into the works to stop it, they thought that he was just stealing money and sending it to North Korea. So he had to go live and hide out on the moon, which at this point is colonized. The story takes place in the 2060s. Uh, to give you an idea of of where things might be technologically and societally for planet Earth. But he goes into hiding and they don't realize that he's still on on the moon trying to uh, to put together a mechanism that would allow Earth to survive, coming in direct contact with a mobile black hole. Now, I myself, being a trucker, I know how big of a distance two miles can be, and I know how big the Earth is generally, so it's hard to think that something that relative to the earth is smaller than a pinprick would be able to do that much damage until you remember that a black hole is, you know, uh, collapsed gravity well or whatever the heck you want to call it. It's all, it's all explained in the book. Um, I'm pretty sure that I'm, I'm head cannoning it into something else just to let my non astrophysicist brain comprehend this thing. But, uh, they're so dense and and have so much energy that they'll just eat anything up to a certain scale, including our sun. So, uh, as telescopes are watching this thing fly across our solar system and intersect uh, close enough with Jupiter's orbital path and suddenly this massive gas giant, the biggest planet in our solar system, gets obliterated by this tiny little thing. They're like, yeah, holy crap, we need to get this thing under wraps. So um, they uh, they have this crazy science theory that they're, they're going to put into practice. I'm not going to explain how it is because, again, price of discovery, you know that thing that I like to tell you guys to uh, – to pay when you're jumping into some of these great books that I recommend. Uh, absolutely worth it. I thought it was completely fascinating to imagine uh, a, a mechanism of that size and scale and power output doing what uh, the main character has it do in this book. Um, if I were to compare it to anything, I would say the the mid nineties movie called contact, which has uh, Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey in it. Uh, it reminded me a lot of that, including, um, the notion that there's this death cult on earth that finds out hey, there's this black hole headed for us. This is the will of God. Anybody that tries to thwart it is against God. So we're going to try to sabotage any attempt to, uh, to stop this thing from eating earth. So there's a little bit of that going on as well. There's a lot going on, but it's not, it's not overly drawn out. Uh, the story moves at a good clip and, uh, Language-wise, I, w- I would say you know it, it would probably be just enough to push it into the the lower end of the R-rated scale. There's a couple of f-bombs, but it's not overdone. Um, nothing like exceptionally or excuse me, excessive in the way of like graphic violence or anything like that. It's just it's it's a good, solid sci-fi based on hard science, backed up by a guy who knows what he's talking about, and it made for a very interesting and very compelling read. So check out Primordial Threat by M.A. Rothman. I actually expected to have read more books than this in the last 10 days, but I've spent about four days of them sitting at home from work just because of the uh, the slow time of year being January and kind of bleeding into February. I might have mentioned this before, but they're, they're working on new contracts for the year, and uh, we're about to go do some training for a new client that'll be in a completely different direction from where I normally drive on a road that's much flatter. So I'll be able to go faster. And since I'm paid by the mile, that means much better money. And I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Um, the flip side of that is that since I've been in, at home and working on other things, I haven't been doing as much reading or listening to audiobooks. So uh, last week when I was on a two day run out to Nebraska and back, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that on uh, tales from the road, uh, I finished listening to to two books that were not necessarily shorter. I did kind of bump up the speed a little bit, but I was in the truck for, you know, 8, 9, 10 hours. Uh, and one of those books was the Mistwick School for Music Craft, excuse me, by Jessica Curie. This is one that Audible recommended. So uh, I grabbed it a, a ways back. It kind of had a cool artsy cover. And uh, even though the description seemed... Um, kind of common in the wake of the Harry Potter era. This this book is basically, you know, um, Harry Potter, but the school teaches you, excuse me, I got something in my nose. The school teaches you music that you perform uh, magic with instead of just, you know, casting a magic wand or whatever. So, you know, percussion does this and winds do that and strings do this and so on and so forth. Um, I will say though, that the main character, a girl named Amelia Jones, uh, is different from Harry Potter and is going through different ordeals and faces a a different overall obstacle than Harry Potter. But I I would say it's more like the, the world building is is very similar to, uh, to Hogwarts and and all that stuff. But, uh, Amelia Jones is a girl raised by her grandmother. Um, her parents died in a tragic accident and uh, her mother was a student at this place, um, you know, the, the mistwick school for music craft and, uh, Amelia wants to follow in her mother's footsteps Her grandmother disapproves. Obviously there's a plot twist reason as to why, um, some elements of it were predictable, but I, th- I found that the overall story was, was not. And that's what led to it being uh, a little bit more original and refreshing for this particular genre. Um, it's also a bit of a ghost story, which was cool, which is not something that, that I expected. Um, there's a little bit of kind of high school mean girls drama to it, but for what it was, for the genre that it, that it came in and for, you know, the art audience that it was targeting, which ultimately was not me. I still found it enjoyable. And it was a good way to, uh, to spend an otherwise stressful day trying to beat a snowstorm eastward across Wyoming as, uh, I rushed over to a sugar beet farm. But like I said, more about that when we get to, uh, the tales from the road for this week. But if you're looking for a, a read in that vein, check out the mistwick school for music craft, by Jessica Corey. I have never been a huge fan of Tom Clancy. I I tried a couple of times in my teens. My older brother just loved him. He devoured some of those books, I think, in late middle school and going into high school. He liked reading the, the big, thick, political, military techno thrillers. And uh, for me, it was just too much. I understood the overall gist of what was going on, but it didn't move at a pace that really engaged my young mind. And even as I've attempted to read some of these, you know, longer, more complicated Clancy works, original works like uh, uh, Patriot Games I read in 2013, I understood that it was an interesting concept. It's just not something that really gripped me and made me think like, oh, yeah, I want to read more and more of these Um, But this next book I've read was, was in the vein of a Tom Clancy book, but it it managed to really trim the fat and tell a leaner, tighter story that still had the weight and the authenticity of, of Clancy's writing. Uh, This book is called Mistaken Reality by Tracy Hunter Abramson. Uh, That's a name that I've heard a lot in the circles where I run up here in the the Utah writing community. Uh, I knew that she wrote these, you know, Political thrillers, military thrillers, techno thrillers, and uh, based them on a lot of her her own experience, first as a soldier, and then I think she worked for a, an intelligence agency for the government, it might have been the CIA, it might have been another one, but uh, she's she's got that first-hand knowledge of certain... Uh, situations, operations, methodologies that the government uses and you know, lends that authenticity to the stories that she writes. Uh, this being the first story of hers that I've ever read, I just kind of jumped in and I got the impression pretty quickly that some of these characters you're meant to have been introduced to before in other books that she's written, but it's it's not so serial that you were completely out of your depth. You were given just enough of the of the necessary information on these characters to know who they were, what kind of stuff they've done before this book coming into it and uh you know for example who got shot before, who was in a difficult situation before that gets referenced, you know, now in this book. So uh our main characters we first meet Hadley Baker, she's a third grade teacher in uh excuse me, in the DC Maryland area. She teaches in a very poor area. That's relevant. Um, she's going on a date with her boyfriend of six months and meeting his boss and his coworkers. And, uh, the, the boyfriend very tactlessly finds a way to, uh, get her to break up with him right before the meal at this fancy restaurant where all these other, you know, Washington bigwigs are meeting. And so she's in the bathroom, having herself a good cry when a bomb threat gets called in outside and the FBI figures out, you know, that they got to evacuate the building. And so, Special Agent uh, J.D. Byers, I think is his name, uh, runs in and tries to clear the building and sees that she's in there, grabs her, they run out, and uh, this bomb goes off and he saves her. It's very if, – if it wasn't handled as well as uh, Abramson did in this book, it's almost like a Hallmark movie, but it's it's got – like I said, it's got the gravitas, it's got the seriousness to it to take away the the ham and cheese edge that there would be in a Hallmark movie. Um these, these people are young, they're hot, they're single. You know they're going to hook up, but it's it's done with a degree of, of authenticity that, that takes away the uh, the superficiality of it that you would expect with with a book that kind of starts this way. So there are a couple of other things going on in the story. Other characters are uh, trying to break up a human trafficking ring, and there is more to Hadley's now deceased boyfriend. He died in the bomb blast. Um, than than she was aware of. He's not who he said he was. He was actually a a deep cover operative trying to break up a human trafficking ring. Um, I, if I tell you any more than that, you'll kind of know what some, what what twists are coming up later in the story and they won't be uh, as much of a surprise reveal to you. So I'll hold off on saying anything more from there. Um, for the subject matter that it dealt with, it was a clean read. I found that very refreshing. Uh, Tracy Hunter Abramson is a member of the same church as as I am. We both are part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and this is uh, LDS fiction from an LDS publisher. So some of the characters themselves are members of the church. That's why it's a a clean read content-wise, even though it's dealing with real scumbags out there in the world. Um, If I've got any complaints about it, I guess I would say that... uh, there was a, a certain religious ordinance that was performed in the middle of the book. Not the kind of thing that you, you know, you know, shouldn't write about. I just, it's the kind of thing that it, it makes me uncomfortable to present those things in fiction because they're things that I I treat as you know, solemn and sacred. So I wouldn't write about it in a fictional setting. Uh, you know, a character asks for a, a priesthood blessing before going in on an operation. And so, um, you know, if if that's the kind of thing that would make you balk, I know I've got a lot of LDS listeners to this podcast, uh, you know, just be aware of it. I don't think that it was bad or or detrimental or or detracting or anything. It's just, uh, when that came up, I was like, Oh, they're, they're doing this. They're writing this in there. Uh, just, just not the kind of thing that I would treat, uh, fictionally, but, uh, Abramson knows what she's doing. She's a, a very successful writer and, uh, has, very clearly had a successful re- re- career. Excuse me, in in uh, defense and in intelligence and stuff, and all of that lends itself very well to uh, to an authentic read in this vein. So check out "Mistaken Reality" by Tracy Hunter Abramson. I will be uh, bookmarking a few more of her titles to read when I'm hungry for something in that genre. All right, 20 minutes in. As promised, I do have a Tales from the Road for you. Like I said, I sat home for three days this week. Each day I was waiting to see if I was going to go out the next day, and when I didn't, I uh, put that time to good use. I went to the gym. I took my kids to school and uh, gave my wife some time off from the, the regular daily chores and stuff that she handles here while I'm gone. But I did finally get a dispatch out uh, out east of here, there was a place out in Nebraska that needed a load of dragon's blood. Uh, I'd heard of my trainer, Dennis, getting sent out there. Uh, I didn't know all the particulars though. Uh, there were some good, some bad, some ugly, and uh, overall it was it was a really pleasant trip. So there's this place out in Nebraska in, in a town called Scott's Bluff. It's a sugar beet processing plant where they uh, they run a bunch of beets through their process and they get sugar from it, and uh, that's what keeps America fat and happy. Um... Somewhere along the line in that process, they need dragon's blood and I'm the one to take it to them. Normally I'm hauling a train of, of two trailers, but uh, due to regulations in Nebraska, which I'm, I'm assuming that it's still legal to pull multiple trailers over a certain weight, excuse me, in that state, because they are interstate highways that you take. In this case, I was taking the 80, but it might just be a matter of the company that I work for not paying for a, a permit uh, the annual permits that you would need to haul something that long or that heavy through the state. So, uh, they just take one trailer at a time. It, it might also be a matter of, you know, the, the needs of the customer. They, they wouldn't need the full, you know, 3,500 gallons. They would, they would only need, you know, one trailer full. So either way, I didn't have to take both trailers, which made my job infinitely easier. Um, uh, now that I think of it, it also depends on the layout of the plant. I w there is no way on God's green earth that I would get two trailers where I needed to get them. So uh, I would just take the one and, and drop it off. But, uh, first, uh, I had some of the, uh, the material left in my tank from a previous run. The customer wasn't able to take all of it. So I took the rest of it with me to, uh, back to the yard. And then, uh, we offloaded, uh, a smaller tank from one of the other drivers into my main tank. So when I went out to, uh, to the factory to get the remainder of my, my load. I didn't need very much. I was, I think my gross weight was under 80,000 heading out to this place. Um, the dangerous part of this was there was a massive snowstorm in Salt Lake city that day, which means that there was an even more massive snowstorm in the mountains East of Salt Lake where the I 80 takes you. And, uh, if that's the case, because you're going through the mountains and there's a lot of climbing, lo and behold, as I was working my way through the traffic jams eastward from the uh, the Dragon's Blood Dispensary unit, um, I started to see the overhead traffic signs that they have here in Utah saying, all semis required to have chains for, for Parley's Pass. That's the uh, the big old climb where if you're fully loaded, you can expect to go about 30 miles an hour up that mountain in eighth gear well it would be eighth gear you'd be down in like fifth or something so i called up dennis and i said hey i'm seeing this sign but i'm unclear about what it means does it mean that i have to have the chains on or does it mean that i just have to have them with me in the truck and he goes no it means you got to have them on so here's what you do Um, you grab the 15 you go up to the 89 you pick up the 84 and that'll allow you to bypass the massive climb that road is a lot flatter uh, not that the speed limits higher. I just don't have to climb chains aren't required, but my truck is legal on that road. That'll take me a- around Parley's and I'll be able to pick up the 80 again at echo and then work my way across the 80, across Wyoming to Nebraska. The question then was going to be, can I beat the storm? Because if the storm is in Wyoming and the 80 it could possibly be closed down in the Eastern half of the state, I might, uh, be dragging out my trip for a few extra days. The problem with that was that Saturday was a a scheduled birthday party for my son. And obviously I don't want to miss that. So the wife and I are pulling out all the stops. We're, we're praying, we're crossing fingers. We're rubbing lucky rabbits, foots, and all that stuff. Foots. Did I say that? I did say that. Whatever. Let's roll with it. But I called my boss and this is where I found, I was really grateful that my boss uh, was a, a former trucker. He'd been driving for decades. Um, had some medical stuff pop up. So he's, uh, handing the, handling the, um, the management side of the business. Now he, he owns all the trucks that we drive. Uh, but he understands the nature of the work a great deal better than my last dispatcher did, who had never been a truck driver. He understood what my concerns were. He'd been down those roads himself. Uh, the weather in Wyoming this time of year is just a crap shoot, but, uh, I was specifically concerned because I pulled up on the, on the tablet in the truck, I'd pulled up the, uh, the Wyoming DOT, uh, road reports. And I said, look, you know, once you get east of Rollins, it says that light or high profile vehicles are, uh, are illegal. And I called the Wyoming DOT to confirm that. And I, I, all I told them was that I was a semi-truck. And I think this is where, uh, they, they got the wrong idea about what kind of truck I was. Uh, they might've envisioned that I was just a dry van, the, you know, the regular big semi truck with a big square trailer. And, uh, as such that made me a high profile vehicle that made me susceptible to being blown over by crosswinds, which could reach up to 60 or 70 miles an hour out there on the uh, plains and hills of Wyoming. Um, that made it a hazard for me to possibly be blown over onto my side or to be blown off the, the slick roads and, and to, uh, to be a, a hazard to other motorists out there. But I was hauling a low profile tanker. It wasn't even one of the big old tankers that you see for lighter fluids like uh, gasoline. Um, Dragon's blood is a very heavy fluid. It's about twice the weight of water. So uh, you wouldn't want a very large volume of it. I had a very low profile round tank. Crosswinds tend to kind of break against those tanks. They they blow around it instead of blowing against a flat sail like they would on a truck uh, or excuse me on a dry van. So uh, all these things played to my advantage. And my boss told me, he goes, no, because of the kind of trailer that you are and the material that you're hauling, you are neither light nor high profile. And I was like, aha, so I can keep going. So after taking my lunch break in Rollins and calling the DOT and calling my boss and uh, and all that, I was pretty committed. And I said, OK, well, if I can keep going, I can make it to Scottsbluff tonight. That means I can unload right in the morning and turn right around and come back. And the the weather forecast for for Friday was much better than it was with the storm on Thursday. Now, another significant part of this story was that before I had stopped in Rawlins for my lunch break, um, I was navigating some other traffic on the way in there, and at some point before there, uh, there was this uh, semi-truck with a Domino's Pizza logo on the back of the, uh, the drive and doors, with, with a driver in there who was just not the brightest semi-truck driver with whom I have ever had to share a road. Uh, this guy was pulling into the passing lane when he didn't really have the power to pass. And then uh, he ended up cutting off uh, a belly dump truck, um, so that he could, you know, cut across the right lane and make a, an off ramp that he had missed. And that guy ended up swinging into my lane and cutting me off. And it was just a, a big mess. I would, you know, this is why you, you keep your, uh, your following distance, like keep your distance from, from trucks in front of you, keep a few vehicle lengths so that you can slow down without having to stomp on the brakes and cause all kinds of problems. Uh, my tank wasn't 100% full, so I was feeling the liquid surge in this load a lot more than I normally would. Pretty much any time I was climbing and, and I shifted gears, a second or two later I would feel the surge of the liquid hit the tank and kind of slow the truck down. So it was one more variable that I had to manage as I was pulling this load all the way across Wyoming in the snowstorm. But anyway, this Domino's truck, he, he cut across the highway to make his exit and I passed him, didn't think anything of it. Then I went to Rollins. And at some point during my break, he must've gotten back on the road and passed me because he was up ahead of me again. Now, now I was in a stretch of, uh, the 80 that had been plowed by, uh, by snow plows. And there was this three or four foot berm all along the highway of plowed snow. And, uh, as I was going along the highway, and I saw you know some ways ahead of me, there were a couple of semi trucks that were you know kind of neck and neck, all of a sudden, I saw this huge wall of snow kick up into the air, and uh, uh, I assumed, you know a second or two later that what I was looking at was an accident. Somebody had gone off the road, whether they had slid, whether they had lost the control or whatever, had had plowed into uh, the wall of snow. And uh, fortunately, He didn't wipe out in such a way that blocked off both lanes of the highway. He only blocked off the fast lane. And uh, as the snow settled and I slowed down and I pulled up to it, I realized it was that Domino's truck that had been driving like an idiot a couple of hours before. Um, He'd been drifting, whether he'd been driving distracted or he had hit a patch of ice or something. He'd slid just far enough to the left side of the road that the front bumper of his truck snagged that snow berm. And from there, it was all over. He he did a tractor jackknife where the trailer kept going straight, but the truck cut hard to the side. And he must have been at worse than a 45-degree angle or something because uh, he had the, the side of that tractor smashed up against the side of that trailer. And the trailer was still on the road, so the trailer tires would have had traction, but the entire tractor was in this snowbank on the side. And I saw, you know, I I pulled up and I stopped and I thought about, you know, getting out and asking, are you okay? And then I was like, what am I going to do other than just clog up the road even more? So I was stopped just long enough to see him open his door, look at his tires, get back in and start hammering the gas, trying to back himself out. And I was like, dude, you are stuck. You are there. You are going to need a wrecker to pull you out of that thing. So the car in front of me passed him and got back up to speed. I passed him and got back up to speed. And uh, I ended up turning off my book for a little while just because if the road conditions were like that for him, they were like that for me as well. And uh, it's a bit of a sobering sight to see somebody else wipe out in a bad way that you wouldn't want to. Um, so drove in silence for a little while longer and then once the conditions stabilized, um, turned my book back on and just kept driving. Um, they, they tell you in a lot of these places, watch out for black ice. They have variable speed zones where normally the speed on this highway is 75 to 80 miles an hour, but they can turn that down to as low as 45 miles an hour, which is what I saw. And they also tell you not to drive, drive not to drive with your cruise control on, which uh, can can affect your ability to actually control the vehicle. So um, long slow crawl across Wyoming, um, but I ended up making it into Nebraska after dark. Pulled into a great truck stop there. The uh, Western Travel truck stop there in Scottsbluff didn't see much, but uh, I had 17 minutes left on my 11-hour drive clock, and I drove just over 600 miles in that time. Shut down for the night, called my wife, hung out in the truck, had these delusions of finishing reading a couple of books and yada, yada, yada. But every time I lie down on the sleeper that I have in that truck... Uh, if I'm on the phone with my wife as soon as I hang up, I might have five minutes before sleep just takes me. And it's not that it's necessarily a comfortable mattress. I usually wake up at three in the morning with a pain in my back, but something about it just puts me to sleep. Slept well, slept till later in the morning, woke up around six, um, got started around seven, headed over to the sugar beet factory. It took them a while to uh, get me scaled in and stuff. They were having a safety meeting, get me into place mud and slurry everywhere. They had a couple of units that overflowed and blah, blah, blah. But man, this place stinks too. Sugar beets are foul. Hard to believe we get sugar out of them. But uh, offloaded my dragon's blood and scaled out and got back on the road uh, You know before lunch. And so I ended up, you know, hammering back empty, but between the truck being lighter and the roads being clearer and the weather being a lot better, it took me only eight hours to get back to the yard in Salt Lake City, driving, uh, driving across the 80, doing whatever speed averages that out, and you know another 600 miles back almost, and uh, and that was this week's trek all the way across Wyoming twice in two days to get to Nebraska, so that people could have just a little bit more sugar, and that is why I get paid the big bucks. So. Anyway, uh, this segment's a little bit long. Uh, I guess the takeaways from it are drive safe in the snow. You are not immune to the same physical forces that govern every other vehicle out there. Don't drive distracted. Pay attention to the road signs. Check in with the DOT. Make sure you're following the laws. Everybody will be safe. Everybody will get back home in one piece. And that is what matters. I was able to be there for my son's birthday party. We went to a trampoline park. My body was quickly reminded within a few hours that I am no longer 17 years old. I am paying the price for that. The price is ibuprofen. But uh, yeah, now you guys know. Drive safe no matter what the conditions are. As a final note, just giving you guys an update, I finished the first draft of With Answerable Courage, which will come out in November. And now I'm doing research on the character design, which is uh, not something that I've given a whole lot of time to. I kind of had my own process for it before. But now that I'm reading this book by uh, a guy that is known on YouTube as Draw with Jazza on creating characters, it's an art book that doesn't start out with art tips. It's more of uh, doing character research and figuring out what kind of visual cues will pair up with the character attributes that you're trying to portray and so on and so forth. I found it Uh, fascinating and very enlightening. And it's a process that I want to take a little bit more seriously, especially because this will be my first book doing, uh, full illustrations in the digital medium since I now have the the tech set up for me to be able to do that. So, uh, that's the, the writing that I finished for now. And that's the art that I'm currently working on. I'm also doing, still doing my draw everyday challenge. Um, There are days when I'm too busy to do something big and elaborate like the Nebraska trip. I took my little uh, leather art pad with me and uh, just drew something small and simple for both of those days. Um, The point is that I'm still learning from even those small and simple pieces uh, but I, I'm always looking for new ways to, to challenge myself. So check out at dread pennies on Instagram. If you want to follow the art challenge and, uh, as always stay subscribed to this podcast for more updates on what I'm reading and, and writing and what will be coming out later this year. And that's it for a, a very long episode of this podcast, but Hey, I'm doing, I'm only doing them so often. So you get more bang for your buck. Uh hope you guys have found something good to listen to. Hope you have a good fun week. Uh, enjoy Valentine's Day and uh, as usual, drive safe. I will see you out there.